So I invite you, let's take our Bibles and open it to the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. Uh, we've been busy with a mini-series on prayer because um, as a beginning of this year, really wanted to encourage us as a church and to pray and to really empty our hearts before the Lord, not just for our, ourselves personally, but also for us as a church, us corporately, to pray and empty our hearts before the Lord of all grace and all comfort. And um, what a beautiful song we just sang, <clears throat> that God himself is our portion um, until, until the end of our lives. And then we will be with the Lord forever. And please remember that. Um, this life is the cover page of our eternity with Him. And then we'll be with the Lord forever. Um, so let that encourage you. And, and today we're really going to be encouraged by Jesus Himself and His Word, especially from Luke 11, as we look at the encouragement of Christ. So we've looked at His example, His commandments, how to pray. But now Jesus is really going to give us two parables to try to help us to see the character of God as we pray, to expose maybe our unbelief or maybe kill our maybe wrong belief about what God is like in prayer. So let's read. Let's just hear God's word for us tonight. Luke 11 verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are now with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's the reading of God. So let's pray together. Oh, Father, we, we come and we want to ask for the very thing that we have just read about. We want to ask for your Holy Spirit to be given to us. Lord, help us to understand this text. Help us to believe this text. Help us to be encouraged to come to you often as our great, our gracious and our perfect Heavenly Father who is infinitely more willing than our best friends and our greatest fathers in this world. So Father, open our eyes to see your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, beloved, if you have been a Christian for a while now, you will know that it is extremely hard to be a Christian. We are like sheep who needs regular time of rest at the green pastures of God's presence in singing, just listening to his word. We need that. Otherwise, we lose heart. Otherwise, we lose our place. And I want to say with prayer, it's the same thing because prayer is also extremely difficult. I've actually spoken to a brother in the week and um, we have been speaking about like it's almost easier to read your Bible than to pray because when you read your Bible, there's something you can focus on. There's something 
you read that comes to you. But prayer is as if you have to pause all your thoughts and you have to just think to focus on God. And it's so hard because there are these million distracting thoughts that's just ready to penetrate your mind. I really need to remember to send that WhatsApp later today. Oh, I have to take out the mints out of the freezer because tonight... And that's so natural, right? Once you give that silence to your brain, it's as if it's itching to grab for your, your daily activities. And that's normal. That's, that's quite normal. But the worst type of, of distractions is not the distractions of your day, but the worst one is unbelief. Unbelief. Does God really hear me? Does He even want to hear me? Does prayer work? Does it even make a difference to pray? And that is what Jesus is going to expose in this text. He wants to kill those unbelief, those thoughts that might say, God is worse than my, my friend that I can go to at midnight, or God is worse than my earthly father that I can ask for things. And that's actually Jesus is going to flip the tables and show God is not like that. God is far, 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 far better. And that's why we should go to him. He, Jesus wants to encourage you. Through these parables. And these two parables have something in common. Both of them contain what we call the lesser to the greater argument. So what Jesus does in both of them is he say he goes from a lesser example and says, if it's true of this lesser example, then it's even more true about this example. So that's the argument. And he even uses that word in verse 13 when he says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, then he says, how much more? Do you see how he moves? He says, it's true even of evil parents. So how much more will it be true of a good father, a perfect father? To give you one more example of the lesser to the greater argument, Jesus said, look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into bonds. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. And then he says, are you of not more value than they? Do you see his point? He says, if God even takes care of insignificant birds, lesser, how much more will he take care of you who are of more value than the birds? And that's what he does here as well. Jesus takes that lesser argument and tries to show you, you see, you, you already believe this. Now apply it to God. Apply it to your relationship with God. That's the point of both parables. Jesus uses ordinary, everyday life, even like, you know, of friends and parents. And then he points to the Father and says, God is better. God is greater. Then this, so pray, so pray. So we will look at these two parables. That will be our outline. We're just going to look and walk through these parables. So the first parable we're going to look at together is the parable of the shameless friend. The parable of the shameless friend. Let's read the parable just again, just to hear it again. Look at verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. What an interesting parable, right? What an interesting story to try to make a point. And what makes this parable so tricky, it's only found in Luke. So we can't like compare this with Matthew or with Mark or John. Like this is the only parable we have. So we, we only have this one to, to, to understand. Okay, but, and I think the emphasis of this text, if you just read the story, it's really the emphasis about how improper it is. 
for this friend to ask. It's like, it's completely wrong in, on every level. Okay, number one, let's count all the improper time or things. Okay, number one, it's midnight. Okay, I don't know about you, but I, I don't like it when I'm awake, at, when somebody else wakes me up at midnight that doesn't have to wake me up. Just ask Deborah about Alakai. Like, that happens quite frequently. <laughs> okay? So it's only grace that Deborah loves Alakai as well. <laughs> you know, so, but that's the first thing. Waking up at midnight, that is wrong. That's, that's the most inappropriate time to bother anybody. Secondly, you even feel the frustration of the friend when he says in verse 7, do not bother me. <laughs> it's like, doesn't even call him friend. He just says, listen, don't bother me. You can feel his frustration. And I just want to say, by the way, Jesus expects everyone to react like this, okay? So he says, which one of you will not react like this? So it's like a common, this is, this is just common wisdom. You don't bother someone at midnight. This is a natural, normal reaction. When you're tired, you're not friendly, okay? You can be the holiest, godliest person. When you're tired, you tend to be a bit crunchy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's the right word for that, right? Thirdly, okay, and this is the worst. Who is with him in bed? His children. So think with me. If he gets up, lights a lamp, search for the bread and give it, who else is going to wake up with him? <laughs> it's his whole family, his kids. And any mother will tell you that is the unpardonable sin. You do not wake up a sleeping child, right? If there, if there ever was an 11th commandment, it must be this, right? Thou shalt not wake up a sleeping child. And all the parents says, amen, amen. So do you see, Jesus is really showing us, he's emphasizing this fact that this friend is, it's so wrong. It's so improper. It's unacceptable. Then Jesus gives us the point in verse 8. Look at verse 8. He says, I tell you. Though he will not get up to give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. See, notice what Jesus says. The ultimate reason won't even be because he, he is his friend. He's not standing up for that. Because that friendship needs some restoration. After that moment, like, there, there has to be some time of reconciliation and like rebuking and things like that. But, that, but he will still... Stand up and give him. Why? Because of his impudence. Now that's also, again, what makes this word difficult. It's also the only word used in the entire New Testament. So again, we can't use this word to do it like a nice word study. It's like, okay, we just have this context to try to understand it. And the word literally means this. Impudence means without shame. To be without shame. Or to be, even sometimes means, have no regard for what is proper. You're not, you don't care about what's the right thing or the proper time. You just go. You just do. It's like that thing of do later, say sorry, or do now, say sorry later. Almost that kind of an attitude. That's this impudence. Some have, some have said that this word can also mean persistence. Now, that can work in, in this text, but I, I feel like the context really emphasizes the improperness of this friend. And thinking of the word as being without shame, that, that just fits. So this is what Jesus says. Jesus is saying, this man, although he won't stand up because he is his friend, he will stand up just because of the fact that he's there, that he has, that he has been bold enough, shameless enough 
to even do it in the first place. He will still receive. Now, here is Jesus' point with this parable. This is his point. Okay, loud and clear, his point is not that we should copy his example of our friendships. Okay? Proverbs 27 verse 14, I had to learn this the hard way in marriage. Listen to Proverbs 27 verse 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. I remember on our honeymoon, I was so, so oblivious. I'm a bit of a more of a morning person. And I would wake up, sing loudly, you know, play music at the background. Wake up Deborah with a loud voice, hey honey. And she's like, okay, can't divorce. <laughs> but I had to learn, okay, no, quiet down. Like, my wife's different than I am. I have to, I can sing the beautiful hymn. It's going to be like a curse at that time, right? Or, and also remember the golden rule. Remember Matthew 7 verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, you do also to them. So that's Jesus. It's not giving us this parable to try to copy his example. Rather, here's the point. Here's the point. If this person can receive from his friend, even while asking at the most improper time because of his boldness, how much more should you expect to receive from God with whom it is never inappropriate or improper to pray? Or to say it another way, if this person can receive from a friend who says, do not bother me, how much more should you expect to receive from God who says, come to me? That's the point. Think about it. God will never say to you, don't bother me. I'm busy ruling the universe, orchestrating all things for my glory. Sorry, I can't help you now. He will never say, this is an inconvenient time for me. Come back tomorrow. Come back another time. God never sleeps. So even if you do pray at midnight, it's proper. It's right. Because God is never asleep. He sustains everything. At this very moment, He sustains you. Your very next breath is dependent on God. And more than that, not just is God never inconvenienced by your prayer, He didn't spare His own Son for you. He was willing to sacrifice His Son so that you might come and pray, might be with Him forever. Why would you think? It's madness to think that God would not spare the person He loves with the greatest love in the universe for you, but somehow He's now burdened or inconvenienced or bothered or by your prayers. So we may come with boldness, with shamelessness to the throne of grace. Remember Hebrews 4, 16? Let us then with confidence, because we have a high priest, let us come with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because the, the curtain has been torn by the blood of Christ, we can now enter without shame into the holy of holies because our sins have been covered. Our sins are paid for in full and we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We can come to God our Father with utter boldness. Because we are in Christ. So God is the opposite of this person. Although, again, as Jesus said, he expects this is the reaction of normal people. But God doesn't feel burdened. He delights in our prayer. So, beloved, I think this is the effect this parable should have on our hearts. You, when you come to God, should always expect 
to receive from God. When you come to God, you should always expect to receive from Him. Either to grant you what you pray for or to give you something better. That's why Jesus ends this parable in verse 9. Look at what he, he actually gives us the point as well in verse 9 when he says, And I tell you, ask and what? It will be given to you. Knock. Sorry, I'm, I lost my Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And then he repeats that in verse 10. Everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Like that friend, if you knock, you will receive. In fact, Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that this belief that you will receive from God is essential to pleasing God. If you do not believe this, you are not pleasing God in your prayers. Listen carefully to Hebrews 11 verse 6. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And you ask, okay, so what does faith believe? For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you hear? You must believe that God rewards those who seek him. Otherwise, your prayers are not pleasing to him. But that makes sense, right? Why pray if you don't expect anything from God? Why pray if you don't expect God to hear your prayers, to answer your prayers in whatever way He sees fit? And this makes sense. It doesn't please God when you pray like that because you are dishonoring God. To think that He did not spare His own Son, but now He won't, give, he won't listen to you, He won't help you, He won't answer your prayers, that's, that's unbelief. So this makes no sense at all if he gave us his son and then to think we can't, we can't ask him, we can't receive from him. So beloved, lay down your skepticism as well over prayer. Lay it down. It is a burden you shouldn't carry. It is pure unbelief to expect more from a friend that says don't bother me than from a God who says come to me. Let me just make one clarification here. Um, I, I think I have been clear enough but it's always good to be extra clear. This should never be taken to mean that whatever you pray for, you will always get. Meaning that if you just add enough faith into this prayer, whatever you ask for, you will get. I've heard of a pastor, for example, who owned his own private jet. And he asked his congregation, do you know why you don't have a private jet? Because you never asked for one. Now that's an abuse of this passage. That's not what this passage is meant to teach us. So that's not what, what, what Jesus is saying. Rather, he's saying um, that whenever you pray, you will always receive, whether it is what you pray for or something better. That is a wonderful confidence we can have when we pray. And remember, even Jesus showed us this attitude of our prayers. When we pray, we say, remember what he prayed for in the garden? He said, Father, please remove this cup from me. And then he says, yet, not what I will but what you will. He submitted his requests to God. And that's what we should do as well. We give our hearts. We give our requests. We give our desires to God. And then we submit our will to his will. So when God says no, it's because he has a better, greater reason for that. So trust your heavenly father. Trust him and do not lean on your own understanding. That's the first parable. The first parable of the shameless friend is meant to help us embrace this truth. Always expect to receive from God. For if, if, if even a, a friend like that can receive, then how much more 
or your heavenly father give you? Second parable, he gives the same, a similar point, but with a slightly different emphasis. Um, let's just read it again, the parable together. Look, look at verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Okay, this, it's almost so basic, you don't need me to explain this, right? Fish and eggs were the staple food of the day, life-sustaining food. And serpents and scorpions are deadly animals that can kill you. So it's like the opposite extremes. And, and that's what Jesus says. Which one of you, which one of you parents, will instead of life-sustaining food, give animals that will kill your children? And he expects this answer, no one. No parent in their right minds will do this. And then he gives the point in verse 13. He gives the point. He says, if you then who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Wait, did, did Jesus just say we are evil? Wait, are you saying those parents who give good gifts are evil? Jesus, aren't you being judgmental? Aren't you being harsh? You see, Jesus' entire argument rests on the assumption or on the fact that we are evil and not good. If you think that human beings are basically good, then this verse makes no sense. Makes no sense. So I want to actually labor a little bit here and, and try to convince you when Jesus says, you parents who give good gifts are still evil, I want to labor this point because the more we're convinced of that, the better we are ready to accept and embrace the second half of this parable. I mean, the Bible declares this for us. Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin that my mother conceived me. From birth we are sinful. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5 verse 12, because of our union with Adam, because our first parents sinned, sin and death has spread through all of his children, and that's all of us. Therefore, Romans 5 12, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This is the consistent from the beginning. You, you, almost, th- you almost want to watch sin evolve, but you read Genesis 4, and you see the first murder. Of a brother. At the moment of sin, there's shame, there's, there's blame shifting, there's pride, there's running away from God. It's all there. So if I can, I want to specifically try to apply this to parents. Okay, I know that's only Marco and Lorinda, but all right, so this is going to maybe feel a lot more personal than it, has to be, than it had to be. But think, I want you to think about your lives as, as parents. Think of all those times when you were irritated with your children for bothering you. Sometimes we respond with yelling or simply raising our voice or simply just ignoring our children or neglecting them. Or rather, I just want to say as well, for all of you here, you can just relate to this with your own parents, right? You can just think about your parents and see their sin as well. When our children want to spend time with us, we tend to think that it's a waste of time. We could be doing something way more productive than staring at the picture or jumping on the trampoline. 
Or think even of those times you disciplined your children, but it was in anger or frustration. Maybe you shout and raise your voice. I've heard of parents who, for example, hit their children wherever they get, get a space out of frustration. By the way, this is the rule of child abuse. Whenever you discipline in anger, it's child abuse. Even if it's on the bottom. If there's anger in your heart, it's child abuse. That's the standard. Other times we just discipline our children because we're so irritated by them or because they have so humiliated us in public. Like you would never discipline them for that in other situations, but because you were humiliated, you've disciplined them. We as parents are often proud and selfish, often resenting our children for, quote, ruining our lives, taking over most of our time, being so dependent on us. Why can't they just be grown-ups? And we forget that we were just like them, right? We, what, what took us years to learn, we expect them to know in a day or in a moment. And we're like, unreasonable. Sometimes we compare our children with other children. And I don't think Facebook and Instagram helps. And we're like, maybe even secretly wishing we had that child instead of our child. Look at how that child obeyed. Look at how that child just shines in sports or shines in that thing. And I think this is very possible because if it's the, the, the 10th commandment says you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. It's so it is obviously possible to also covet your neighbor's children. So parents, without a doubt, if you just look at yourself, can we be honest? Even the best of us are evil. Even the best of us have failed. And we should be ashamed by that. But if you're not, still not convinced about parents, can I switch the tables to the children? Look at children and see evil there. Think of their selfishness and their pride. They can play. I've seen Jordan do that. I just want to just clarify. I, I love Jordan. This is not like some, you know, release or something like that. You know, I don't know. Um, but I, I've seen this in my son. I've seen him play with a toy, perfectly content. You give him a different toy, like, no, I don't want that. I'm content. And as soon as another child plays with that toy, he wants that toy again. Not because he wants to play with the toy, but because that child's playing with the toy. And how dare he? How can he have some fun? I should have all the fun. Children are so jealous. They are so envious. Naturally. We never, I've never taught Jordan how to throw a tantrum, how to whine and complain. Never. And he just does it. He's good at it. He's, he's an expert. And by the way, that's why Proverbs also says, you know what's one way to ruin your child's life? One way. Proverbs 29 verse 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. One way to destroy a child is just to leave him. Let the child raise him or herself. That's the easiest way to destroy them because their own evil hearts will destroy them. Their own sin, their own pride will, will destroy them. And that's the point that Jesus says we all are evil. Parents or child, children. And when you put two sinners together, there's going to be sin. And that's why families are so sensitive and so hurtful because there's so much sin that happens in our family. And that's why also the only solution for, 
for evil parents or for evil children is a good savior. Is Jesus. He came for us. Parents, this is our only hope. It's the grace of Jesus every day, every day for our weaknesses, for our failures. One of the greatest privileges we have as Christian parents is not just to repent before God, but to repent before our children. And I think we should do this. I think we should not just ask forgiveness for God, but ask forgiveness for our children if we've sinned. Because when you've sinned against your children, it's not just against God you've sinned. You've sinned against them. And vice versa as well. Children, to repent before, for your, to your parents as well. But this is Jesus' point. If you, parents, people who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, even us, Parents, know how to give food and clothing and things that our children need. How much more does a perfect God, a holy God, an all-wise God, a God who loves you perfectly, intimately, how much more will that God give you the Holy Spirit when you ask Him? God, listen, you have to believe this. God is better than our parents. I think this is maybe one of the mistakes we make. We, we tend to compare our, our father in heaven to our fathers on earth, right? We tend to make this comparison and say maybe he's just like that. But that the whole point of Jesus is saying it's not like that. God is way better. He is perfect. He doesn't make a mistake. He's never too harsh. He's never too letting you go. His discipline is perfect. He's never unfair. He's never too passive. God is our Father, and He's always perfect all of the time. Amen? Amen. Always. And what is the best gift that God can give you? What is the best gift this Father can give you? Right? It's in our text. Himself. Himself. He will give us the Holy Spirit. Who is God himself? Romans 5 verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The best gift is the Spirit. Is, his, is the love of God in our hearts. Him being with us forever. You see, your greatest need from God is not something but someone. Do you need love? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Well, those are the fruit of the Spirit. So if you need that, what's God going to give you? His Holy Spirit to fill you, to control you, to help you submit under His Word. That is our greatest need. So brothers and sisters... Since God is our Father and loves us and knows the depths of our hearts and knows the perfect answer, the perfect way to answer every prayer, why are you not praying? You can bring your entire heart to God. What are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are your fears? What are your anxieties? What are your troubles? What are your trials? What are your sufferings? What are your heartaches? What are your disappointments? What are your sorrows and your shame? What are your desires in terms of a family, in terms of children, in terms of your friends, in terms of your future? Pray to God. 
take it to the Lord. Ask and you will receive. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So by the way, this is a great question to ask your husband and your wife if they share any trouble with you, any trial with you. Have you prayed about this? I mean, really prayed about this? <laughs> this is a great question, husbands, to guide your wives to Jesus. This is a great question, wives, to show your husband to Jesus. This is a great question, parents, to ask your children. Have you prayed about this? Have you taken this to the Lord in prayer? This is a great question for any situation, for any Christian, any person. Have you really prayed about this? I've noticed this so often. Sometimes the things I complain about the most are the things I've prayed for the least. <laughs> Have you noticed that? It's almost, it should be like a chart. So beloved, don't be discouraged. Lift up your eyes and behold your Father. Behold your Father. He's perfect. He knows your heart. He knows the best way to answer you. So come. Come to Him often, believing that you will always receive from Him when you come. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we want to repent before you right now. And Lord, please forgive us for our skepticism. Forgive us for the unbelief that sometimes is so alive and well in our hearts. Thinking that our friends, thinking that our parents are better than you. Are more loving than you. Are more willing to, to give us what we need than you. Father, we are sorry for being so prayerless over our greatest needs, which is yourself. We need you, Lord. I need thee every hour. Every hour we need thee. So, Father, please help us. Help us to cut out the unbelief in us. Help us to come to you frequently and often with our desires and our fears and all that is within us. And to submit ourselves under your will, knowing that you are our God. Father, we, we also want to pray for us as a church. Lord, you know my desires. But thank you, Lord, that you are in control. That we can come to you and ask for you that this church might grow, might, might be planted, might be a church where people are discipled and showed the grace of God. May the gospel of Jesus be proclaimed from this pulpit, from, from Pochefstroom into the world. Father, send more laborers into the harvest here in Poch and abroad. Help us as a church to love one another, to be zealous for good works. Help us to be humble and holy. And above all, Father, help us to be conformed to your image. May we reflect, when people, when our children look at us as parents, may they see a glimpse of God our Father. When our husband and our wives, when we look at each other, may we have a glimpse of your love for the church. When people look at us in, our, in the world, may they have a glimpse of how God is like. When they see our work ethic, our grace, our patience. And Father, who can do this? 
We can't. We cannot do this. So we ask you for your Holy Spirit. We ask you, Father, please give us your Spirit to control us, to fill us, to guide us, to lead us into all truth. And let that fruit of the Spirit just blossom and thrive in us and through us so that your name might be honored and glorified in the world. So Father, come and do all this, not for our sake, ultimately, but for your sake, your name's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.